Hello everybody and welcome back to another exciting episode of Fantasy Tavern. It's me, Marita, aka Chiquitita. I'm back for another week. Not sure how good that picked up on the recording because the microphone's way the fuck over here. Um, but I wanted to do my little walk-on uh, costume part first before we get started. So I'll take another step back just so you guys can, can see the full costume. Get your guesses in as to who I am. It is, of course, related to our topic this week. And ugh, I fucking hate wigs when they get in your mouth. So uh, today I am doing a costume from the Hulu show Only Murders in the Building. I am dressed up today as the iconic Mabel Mora, and this is an outfit that if you do a Google search online of uh, outfits for the show, um, so Mabel Mora has become a bit of a fashion icon through this show, Only Murders in the Building, played by Selena Gomez, and so this is inspired by the very popular outfit that you'll find if you happen to look online for some inspiration for costume. Uh, I'm going to be taking this little jacket coat thing off because it's pretty warm, but thankfully it all came together. I managed to find some costume pieces that, you know, for the most part fit fairly well and um, managed to have a few things that uh, already in my mind I knew it would be easy to find and also like had to accept the fact that the entire costume was not going to be exactly accurate to what I'm looking at in terms of the pictures. So we kind of just work with that, play with it a little bit. Um, I do also have my prop to sort of also give away the costume. Um, thankfully, this was also a pretty cool contrasting color to go with the rest of the outfit. Uh, as you may know, there's a scene in Only Murders in the Building in, early on in the first season. Mabel talks about a recurring dream that she has about somebody breaking, well, it's sort of like a daydream, I guess. So like she has a uh, daydream about somebody breaking in and trying to attack her. And she basically kills them with her knitting needle. And then usually when she thinks about doing that, if she's having trouble sleeping, it helps her go to sleep. Uh, so there's a lot of interesting things about Mabel in the show that you learn as you go. Um, there's a lot that she doesn't reveal to the other two characters, Charles and Oliver, that are basically the <coughs> partners in crime uh, to her. They make the, they complete the trio on Only Murders in the Building. And they start to unravel a lot about her past as well as the project and the true crime case at hand that they are all focused on in the show. Which brings me to the sign and the topic of the week for our Halloween series on Fantasy Tavern. So I basically have a sign made up here based on one of Mabel's quotes from the show. Uh, it is podcast related, podcast reference as well as kind of just a sarcastic little tongue-in-cheek reference to this podcast and many others. Uh, so can I stream it later? 
uh, makes reference to a quote about uh, Mabel wanting to uh, take a speech that someone's making and possibly listen to it later and just spare herself the the headache of it. Um, so this is a big thing about podcasts especially and TV shows and movies nowadays. Very accessible and very uh, many options for you to be able to watch at a later time or whenever you want to do that. That's my alarm that I'm using to keep me on track today. Uh, we're going to try something new today on the podcast as well where I'm trying to do this before I have to go to work. And I'm hoping that this will keep me on time track, finally, and give me a chance to get everything I want to say in the podcast, but not go to like three hours. Because part of my um, improvement of the podcast is including uh, moving the time of, uh, the kind of average time that they've been happening lately, which is about three hours. Maybe shave about half an hour off of that, an hour to half an hour off of that. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Yeah. So I basically want to try and do again some more self-editing and uh, I figured if I give myself a time limit then maybe it'll actually help. So uh, I'm going to work with that and then hopefully I can wrap this up and get it all done and get out of here just in time for work. So we're going to get started and uh, I guess I'll set up here. I don't have any... Uh, particular snacks right now. I might go grab a little bit of a snack before work um, in like about an hour once I do about an hour of filming I think but I want to try and get through at least an hour before I start doing some snacks today. Uh, I just got some groceries and that means I can put together a little something nice before I go to work tonight and when I get home. Uh, shout out to grocery delivery absolutely amazing and um there's a lot of lot of positives to be said for the grocery delivery. Uh, you don't always get to pick your time slot, and there are a lot of things that get substituted or don't get, end up in your order, but if you're looking for something that is convenient, um, especially for me, since I don't drive, and if I have to get a lot of groceries at once, it's hard for me to carry them all. I really should invest in like a little rolly cart, like a granny cart, and uh, that might make my life a little bit easier. But uh, in the meantime, sometimes the delivery is just better for me. Because in this, this particular instance, I had to get a lot of stuff at once. Um, it didn't really seem like that much when it got here. Uh, like, they spread it out into all different boxes. Um, and, man, groceries, the price is getting... They're, like, they're so expensive nowadays. So you got to be a little bit smart about it. But um, this was also through PC, so... I collect points that way, which is pretty, pretty sweet. So yeah, um, I also stopped by, uh, I, I went out earlier this afternoon. I stopped by a few stores to pick up this, basically this outfit that I'm wearing now, everything except for the boots that I already owned. Um, pardon the bottoms of those, they might be a bit dirty. Uh, everything else I picked up today at either Valley Village or Party City. And um, managed to actually get some really good pieces uh, these pants, um, are actually almost the exact same as in the show. They've even got a bit of blue in them, but the issue is that they don't close. So I'm strategically hiding this open part with the sweater that I got. This sweater is actually super cute. Would wear this again, 100%. It, I find it, it is very flattering color. This jacket, I'm not 
super sure about, but it's kind of growing on me. I might throw it on and wear it to work tonight just to kind of see how I feel about it. And I'm really glad that with the lighting, it's making it look more orange because the actual jacket in the pictures is like a, is like a yellowish orange. I think it's supposed to be like marigold or like a, like a burnt, like rust sort of color. Whereas this is very, very red, but with the lighting, it's looking a little bit better. Uh, the wigs from Party City, earrings from Valley Village, everything else actually, all the clothing is, is from Valley Village. So they, oh, and then the sunglasses that I had on earlier, those are mine. And the headphones are from Valley Village. Um, is there like cheap little three, $4 headphones that I found on the rack? Uh, they're not Beats by Dre. I, um, I am looking for some new headphones and a new microphone, but uh, was not prepared to spend the money today. I'm going to have a think about it and maybe set that up for next week or possibly the end of the month. Some headphones and a new microphone. Just because um, I, I, I've been talking about improving sound quality and this mic right now is great, but it could be better. So that's uh, always something that we can work towards. There's a uh, drink here as well. Um, now, according to the show, Mabel has uh, Mexican roots. So I thought I would go for some tequila today in my uh, Casadores tequila glass um, cup thing. It's like kind of a clay cup. I came with the Casadores um, tequila that I got a long time ago, but I'm actually drinking Espolón today, which is a, my, one of my favorite tequilas. Um, and, uh, I'll, I'll bring the bottle in, uh, after the break to show you guys. The aesthetic is great. It's got like little, like a skull kind of wrapped around on the label with the like sk skulls and skeletons and stuff, which is really cool. And, uh, I mix the tequila with some tropical fruit juice and some lime juice and made myself a little tequila cocktail to enjoy while we do the podcast today. So I'm going to try not to uh, indulge too much before I actually have to work. So uh, that's not going to be an issue, I hope. So we'll figure it out. Mm -mm -mm. Nice. Just the right amount. Of tequila to make it not super sweet. Excellent. I might grab some water at some point too, but I'm going to keep, try my best to keep an eye on the time. We've got basically a good solid hour to get through the majority of what we're going to discuss today. I do have my notes. They're somewhere over here. There we go. So to get started... We're going to do a little definition of what true crime is, just to get started, and some of the origins of the genre. So true crime, as some of you may know, is a particular pop culture genre that's become incredibly popular over the last decade or so, I would say. And it's kind of dominating the pop culture landscape right now, especially in terms of podcasts. But there's a lot of other... Uh, media that is, you know, covering true crime and some of the people that are involved in it that are some of the more high-profile people. And we're going to discuss not only the origins of it, but also how things are interpreted in terms of uh, non strict nonfiction documentaries versus dram dramatizations, reenactments, whatever you want to call them. 
biopics, bio-series of things like that, because there's two very different ways of kind of approaching true crime in terms of how you would see it in popular culture. And then there's also the pros and cons of the genre. There's been actually a lot of criticism within the last year or so about the nature of how true crime is dealt with in terms of an entertainment aspect that is very important to talk about. Uh, We'll also be talking about sort of like the social and racial implications of true crime, uh, including and excluding certain people and what those consequences are. And not to mention, there's going to be a little bit of talk about some specific true crime cases that are some of the most popular. And uh, there's a little bit of a gray area in terms of what is and isn't considered true crime, but we'll try and cover all of those bases today with uh, some of my talking points here. I was debating on what to call this week's podcast episode. I'm still not too sure. My three, I guess by the time I, I publish it, I'll, I'll have figured it out. My three choices are killer obsessions, unsolved realities, and true crime in the building. As a nod to both the costume and sort of the in, part, partly the inspiration for today's episode. Um, something that my a friend of mine, uh, Andrew, who actually, and now since I'm remembering them, uh, Andrew is going to be on, on next week's version of the podcast in next week's episode. This may also be a, a little bit of a travel trip. I may be taking the podcast over to Andrew's place for next week's episode. It promises to be a very spooky and spicy and magical exploration into witches and popular culture. Something that is very close to both of us. Um, as people who kind of grew up in the time where the witch sort of aesthetic, the modern witch aesthetic was very popular. So very excited to mention that we'll be discussing that on next week's episode, in case you're interested. That'll wrap up the rest of the month, and then there'll be one more extra special Halloween night episode that will be aired. I'm not exactly sure of the concept totally of it yet, but I'm going to think about it and... You'll get a few teasers before that episode actually comes out. So yeah, and let's get started first of all on our our definition of true crime. So true crime, it's been again coined within sort of the last decade or so, and it's referencing a nonfiction, and and again with dramatizations and biopics and things like that. Uh, even though they're not actually c- clips of what happened or not exact retellings, it's a, it's based on a true story or based in sort of a nonfiction element. And true crime has come to mean in pop culture any sort of media or entertainment that focuses on crime, the criminal justice system, criminals, and basically the start to finish of a particularly interesting criminal case or trial and or trial and or arrest and that's that's generally what you would think of when you think of true crime now there's a few different arguments on what counts as true crime and what doesn't um or what i guess what is more popular in terms of true crime than other certain sort of subsects of it 
So we'll go into that as well. True crime tends to be focused on murders, murder-related, homicide-related stories. It's um, usually there's a narrator uh, in terms of the podcast sort of element. Um, in podcasts, there tend to be one or more people who are examining this true crime story. They may talk about it in like a third-person format usually. And it's it's going to be kind of a a word-for-word recount based on articles and TV news spots and things like that that are going to determine how the story is presented. But it's generally in terms of podcasts and and the documentary style. It's going through the exact, you know, meticulous details of each true crime case. There's also, as I mentioned, biopics, bio series, if you want to call them that, dramatic reenactments that they do on a lot of, um, I guess, true crime narration shows that in my, uh, in my youth, in the generation I grew up with, that was where true crime kind of started, which we'll, we'll start talking about that kind of in sequence of, of the events of how true crime came to be so big and made so mainstream. Uh, and then it kind of turned into a little bit more of the, uh, approaching it with, um, sensationalism in terms of, uh, TV shows and things like that, that are talking about different, especially serial killers. Um, but there were some other people who was just a one-time killing, but the murder was just so horrific that it became kind of enmeshed in popular culture. Um, I mentioned a little bit about this in the last week's episode about Satanism and uh, the Satanic Panic and kind of how that influenced people's perception of um, crime. Uh, We did touch on that a little bit. And so that does come into play a little bit in terms of true crime as well. There tends to be like a sinister element that occasionally also borders on occult-like or Satanic-like activity that has kind of interwoven itself into a lot of true crime stories. That's going to be something that isn't a, isn't a huge focus of this week's episode, but um, we'll we'll be talking mostly about you know serial killers and the murder stuff. So just as a um, a warning, some of the definitions and uh, descriptions of what we're going to be talking about today may be a bit graphic. So just a warning if that's uh, something that you have issues with, then um, feel free to pause or or step away, or or if you, this is a warning for you to not listen to this particular episode this time. Uh, hopefully this is your your chance now. I just want to make sure to make that clear. There may be some disturbing or triggering type language or descriptions in this episode. And I'm going to try and approach this as, you know, thoughtfully and respectfully as possible in uh, consideration of some of the, you know, victims and families of some of these cases, and in light of some of the negative criticisms that true crime has received in the last little while, uh, I'm going to, I was really trying my best to pick a costume, for example, that like wasn't just a serial killer, because I felt like it was just a little too, um, a little too irreverent, even for me. (laughs) Uh, I want to try and give the information without it being uh, jarring or uh, offensive, to anybody. And I, I think that this costume kind of fits. It's a little bit on the safe side. And um, 
it references both the the uh, element of the true crime genre as well as the podcast phenomenon, which ties into true crime. Um, referencing, I guess, what I was mentioning about Mabel uh, needing the sort of uh, idea of this true crime thing happening to get to sleep. A lot of people use podcasts, true crime podcasts, uh, to help them wind down, uh, like while they're multitasking, to help them get to bed. Um, there's also a lot of other people who would never dream of using true crime podcasts for that reason. And that's kind of just a personal preference. But yeah, it's sort of become this, it's become kind of synonymous with, oh yeah, who's your favorite podcaster? Who's your favorite podcaster that talks about murders and deaths and all this weird stuff all the time? And it's, it's kind of become, uh, you know ubiquitous with with what with what podcasts are it's 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 i i think at this point one of the top podcast formats and podcast genres that is out there so going forward with our kind of definition of true crime we have um accounts again of criminal events um based on my research here about 40 percent of true crime episodes uh content are serial killer related. Um, there's again a focus on on murders, especially those of high profile and celebrity individuals. Uh, for example, John Monet Ramsey, O.J. Simpson, and there's also a little bit of popularity with true crime in terms of uh, less violent and um, and kind of traumatizing sort of true crime. Uh, there's true crime episodes from everything to bank heists, uh, art heists, um, fraud, Ponzi schemes, pyramid schemes, kidnappings, um, where there was not a sure, um, case, like, sure resolution as to whether or not there was a murder, so, like, kidnapping and missing persons stories, um, those sorts of things. There's also a lot of podcasts with sort of paranormal elements to them, which a lot of people enjoy. And we'll go into some examples of those as well. So, in terms of true crime, like I said, sort of the the modern day popularity of it has really exploded within the last 10 years or so. But true crime has been a popular way for people to get entertained as well as informed for, you know, centuries now. We have in uh, as early as the 16th century... There in this, like, like I mentioned with in the last episode, um, in terms of coverage of certain things, um, how we can exchange and distribute media and information really affects popularity and consumption of things. So, in this time, the rise of the printing press, as well as increased journalism and coverage of crime, um, court trials, criminal events, things like that. Uh, Jack the Ripper is a very popular example of an early serial killer, early homicide case uh, that to this day baffles people and sort of not only terrified the populace, but also very much captivated them. And and it became, you know, as, as much of a an ongoing sort of uh, saga as much as it was a real true crime case. There's also some examples of a Chinese court genre, which I looked into with my research. So, for example, um, Zhang Yingyu had a book of swindles that came out uh, around this time as well, 
and uh, there was a, a huge interest at the time with Chinese court cases, especially the more scandalous ones, of course, involving murder, uh, some kind of uh, extreme um, goings-on in terms of, you know, theft, fraud, assault, murder, things like that. There was a whole kind of genre that opened up in terms of uh, available literature that people could access to get those accounts. And that continued on kind of through the ages. Um, things got, again, with uh, increased media coverage. Um, this led to, again, the obsession that was starting to take hold in terms of um, court cases. And remember, these were still times when like public executions and things like that were, were entertainment. People don't realize or remember that these sort of things were, were actually events for people. They were entertainment. They were things people did because there was nothing else to do. It gave people sort of a, a sense of schadenfreude to watch a criminal suffer, and make, making maybe making them feel better about themselves. But that's a big thing to remember is that that was also very much a thing up until like the mid-20th century. People were still doing that kind of stuff. But either either as a spectator or and even a participant in these sorts of things. So people's people's um, kind of desire, their lust for their bloodlust, I suppose, their latent bloodlust. So it's always been around. People's kind of curiosity with morbid and macabre type things has always been uh, a reality. And I feel like even maybe it's not that we're so directly involved in it anymore. It may, maybe it makes it easier for us to be removed from it in the sense that we watch it on a TV screen or listen to it through a podcast or, or something like that, uh, or an audio book or, or read a book or something. And that's kind of where the change sort of started to happen. It, it uh, talked a lot in my research about um, a sort of pre-pulp street reading material sort of in the form of pamphlets and brochures that were on the streets. This is referencing in, in England particularly. Uh, between the in the 1500s all the way to the 1700s. And these were things that, again, would distribute information about local crimes, recent high-profile crimes, and people could pick these up and just, you know, read them and go about their day like it was a story. And this even rivaled the fictional penny presses of the day up until about the 1800s, which were more um, fictional sort of accounts, but uh, people really liked the nonfiction true crime as well, just as much. And so going through the ages, we have a lot of different examples of some prominent um, literature, because up until, um, I would say, like the, the film age, like when film first became a big thing, especially in North America... <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> there was a lot of, um, it was all just written, written things that you could pick up in terms of accessing these stories, either newspapers, um, these, uh, you know, uh, stories based on uh, truth, based on real accounts, things like that. Whereas we have now a lot more in terms of visual stuff um, and, you know, auditory things like you're getting the story and you don't have to read it. You're just listening to it. That's become a lot more popular. So there's um, True Detective, which was a news serial that focused on true crime that became popular in the 20s. Uh, there's also a show called True Detective now that 
uh, is very popular as well. Um, there's also the Executioner song by Norman Mailer that is heralded as one of the great original true crime stories, as well as um, going through the 18th century uh, up until now, we've got German Capote in Cold Blood uh, in the 60s, which became extremely popular. Um, although that did come under fire later on for including possibly heavily fictionalized versions of some of the stuff that took place in that case. Uh, so that is, you know, the, we'll talk about that as well a little bit later. Some of the, uh, part of some of the criticisms of true crime that, you know, are very valid. There's also, um, we mentioned, uh, again, last week, uh, sort of the pseudo occult satanic elements of, um, the Helter Skelter Charles Manson murders that, uh, were written about, um, in a very famous book called Helter Skelter. We have, um, studies on murder and more studies on murder by Edmund Pearson, which again, that was the 1920s to 1930s. Devil in the White City by Eric Larson, um, which uh, popularized H.H. Um, H. Holmes, who's a very uh, prolific and kind of like hiding in plain sight uh, serial killer of the day. And uh, The Stranger Beside Me, which uh, was by Anne Rule, who, which talked about uh, Ted Bundy being, um, being married to Ted Bundy. So there was a lot of early literature that referenced true crime stuff. A couple of these were um, actually, um, you know, you get that information pretty straight from the source in the case of Anne Rule. But you have a lot of people who are very close to where the information for the court cases and, and the kind of legal proceedings of these things are happening or have a lot of ins into that world. So they're able to get a lot of information that all of us don't actually have access to. And so that leads to both a more accurate and realistic retelling of these true crime stories. Now, in terms of the um, kind of moving a little bit fast forward to kind of my experience with true crime, um, there was a big sort of push in, I guess, the 90s, from what I remember, about all of these sort of weird, um, again, Dateline is one that comes up a lot, Unsolved Mysteries. Those are two that really got me as a kid. Um, of course, these, these shows, you're going to watch them and they're like going to scare the shit out of you, but there's just something about them that's so fascinating and so, so compelling that you can't help but keep watching, even though you're scared. And you, and that's a big thing about, um, about true crime, it's sort of like this this warped sort of thrill of of n kind of not being able to look away or 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 not listen to what's going on. And um, there are so many other shows too, Law and Order. There's been so many reiterations of Law and Order, uh, Criminal Minds, CSI, and uh, the, there's um, there's so many that were part of my upbringing that kind of inform. Uh, and also, of course, um, if you consider this as part of true crime, um, To Catch a Predator was another big one. Um, that kind of, again, goes into the gray area of what is considered true crime. 
um, is it only people that are famous or only, only people that had these like cases that were more heavily covered than others? Um, or is it because what we've seen in a lot of different things is that the most unexpected people can become true crime fodder can become subject of true crime. And it's not, it, it could be a, a celebrity, it could be somebody rich or famous. It could be somebody who came from a bad upbringing and things like that too. It could be somebody that just for all of a sudden had some weird mental break or they, they just snapped one day um, or they were very good at acting, very good at playing the part of the normal everyday person, but inside they had a very dark secret. They had a very dark nature to them. And those could be just everyday people like you and me. We find out in these different true crime stories all the time. And uh, social media has contributed a lot to some of the lesser known true crime cases sort of coming to light and people paying attention to them. Um, that's, uh, again, something we're going to discuss a little bit later in terms of how true crime is covered, whether there may or may not be some sort of bias towards how it's covered, um, the role of law enforcement in how things are fairly treated in terms of cases. And um, there's, there's just so many things that contribute to a very preventable situations in terms of true crime accounts uh, a lot of the time. Uh, although there are, there obviously are, are very many where it's, you would never see it coming. There's certainly a lot of mismanagement and mistakes that get made that result in cases not getting solved, killers not being apprehended, uh, evidence getting destroyed or, or, you know, uh, not being able to get used. And, um, also just, you know, straight up prejudice by, by certain people in law enforcement and, um, and the court system, the legal justice system. So that is a big part of true crime, um, that needs to get addressed. And so I think those are very valid, uh, sort of reviews of certain people that feel like their stories don't get told over others. That's a good ass drink. Okay, so we're going to go through some of the more famous um, true crime stories and true crime media in popular culture to give you guys some um, sort of a syllabus, I suppose, to look for in your uh, exploration of true crime. But um, also just to go through, as I said, some of the more um, popular cases. So before we get started, I'm going to sort of just address the meta implications of Only Murders in the Building. Um, it's a really great show. I, I just started the second season. And as I mentioned, it was suggested to me to watch it a while ago, but um, I decided to wait until this week because this was the true crime episode. And I figured that it was better to kind of just um, leave my free time to research things pertinent to the other episodes first and not get bogged down in a whole bunch of overwhelming pop culture, uh, you know, offerings that I, I can't keep track of. So Only Murders in the Building... It's a comedy drama, and uh, it's on Hulu. Um, if you have Disney+, Plus, you should be able to find it there. 
and it follows three previously unknown to each other people. Uh, so Steve Martin and uh, Steve Martin's character, he plays a sort of aging um, actor and his name Charles Hayden Savage. And he it was part of a popular 1990s detective drama. As we all know, kind of, I, the detective drama was sort of kind of coming to a close in the late 90s, early 2000s. And uh, Steve Martin's supposed to have this character called Brazos, who he played uh, as like sort of a no-nonsense uh, detective who was, who was tough on uh, all these criminals and everything, always gets the gets the case closed, also always gets the job done. Now he's kind of just doing little things here and there, and he, um, and, uh, we also have Martin Short, who plays Oliver Putnam. As you may be guessing already, there's a lot of, uh, SNL and, uh, SCTV and, like, anybody that those guys have worked with, they are going to be coming up in the show as, um, cameos. Uh, the cameos and the soundtrack for the show are fantastic, by the way. Uh, in addition to kind of the aesthetic of the show. Uh, Oliver Putnam, uh, he is a Broadway director who is not as successful as he lets on, and more off-Broadway, off-off-Broadway, I would say. He uh, he lives in the building with uh, Hayden Savage, Charles Hayden Savage. And the name always fucks me up, because I, I always, like, miss where the hyphen is in Charles Hayden Savage. It's in the first, between the first two names, where I feel like it should be between the last two names, but yeah. And then, um, Martin Short's character is who actually comes up with the idea for the podcast called Only Murders in the Building, and that's the podcast that they start after the real death of a resident in their building, and inspired by a podcast that the two of them really enjoy. And uh, they, unbeknownst to them, they both are obsessed with it. Um, in the first episode, they have a fire alarm, basically, which kind of sets this whole show off, that's pulled in their building, causes everybody to have to evacuate, and they end up in a restaurant together um, where one of them's listening to the podcast, the other one comes across them, listening to this podcast with this big like map trying to piece together the case while they're listening to the podcast. Like, that's how committed they are to it. Um, the podcast is, um, hosted by Cindy Canning, played by Tina Fey. It's called All Is Not Okay in Oklahoma. And, um, that is a parody of another podcast by Sarah Koenig. And, um, on This American Life, uh, which I I was going to mention, I guess I can sort of allude to it now. Um, This American Life had a, uh, that's on uh, NPR, which is a very popular um, podcast and and news uh, station, uh, and also the host and executive producer of the podcast, Serial. So, um, Serial was a very, um, you know, uh, it, it was a huge story in the States especially, but for those of you that follow true crime, um... Season one, and um, it's sort of three different cases, three different um, prominent true crime uh, 
cases. So the first one is the investigation of the 1999 killing of Heyman Lee uh, by Adnan Syed. And um, season two is about Sergeant Bo Bergdahl, an American army soldier who was held for five years by the Taliban and then charged with desertion. And season three explores cases within the Justice Center complex in the Cleveland area. Uh, Serials won a Peabody Award, which they allude to in the show. Um, So, um, this is who Tina Fey's character in the show and the podcast that that they host in the show, that's who this is based on. So, if you are looking for some um, quintessential podcast or pop culture things to listen to in terms of, um, like, to really get to know the really popular stuff, Serial, if you look up online any podcast to do with true crime, that's usually one that's going to come up over and over again. So a really good one to to check out. So, of course, we're going to get to the character that I'm dressed as today, um, Selena Gomez's character, Mabel Mora. So Mabel Mora, um, in, in contrast to Charles and Oliver's characters, who are older men, Um, She is a younger uh, artist. She lives in the same building as them as well. And there's a lot of uh, speculation as to how she can afford this unit. And, uh, you know, there's a a comment made as to, you know, Charles and Oliver got the units in this building, you know, ages ago when they were really cheap. And they're wondering how the hell this young girl, who doesn't seem to have a job, and kind of just came out of nowhere, can afford this building, uh, this this unit in this building. So there's a big, uh, there's a big case that comes up. Um, she, uh, I, I, without giving away too much of the show, and as I alluded to before, um, she gets to know these two men through the mutual love of the podcast that they listen to. Uh, not all is not okay in Oklahoma, and um, there's uh, a lot of other characters that come into play. But they're sort of like the key core group who not only starts this podcast, but also um, take into account the fact that they need to solve uh, this real crime, regardless of the podcast. And um, there's a lot of jokes that are made in terms of sort of the the uh, the the humorous um, kind of uh, jo- you know little jabs that people make in terms of uh, podcasts like they're very heavily ad based uh, and sponsorship based and um, they they often do are, are quite pretentious and take themselves a little bit too seriously and um, so Mabel is becoming invested in both the um, the podcast as well as trying to you know find, help Charles and Oliver find clues about um, the murder of this resident in their building. But as the show um, progresses, you kind of start to figure out that maybe Mabel is more connected to the goings on of this um, mysterious, unexplained murder, which they think it is a murder than the two uh, gentlemen originally thought. There's a lot of really good cameos in the show. Um, 
Jimmy Fallon makes an appearance. Um, Andrea Martin, Shirley MacLaine, uh, and of course, very popularly, Sting. He appears in um, season one as kind of a, a sort of mostly based on playing himself character who comes into who comes under fire for possibly being involved in the murder. And then uh, we've got, as I said, Tina Fey and Nathan Lane is um, sort of the um, patron who helps to sponsor their podcast. That's a kind of a big part of it. Um, so we've got, and of course, Paul Rudd. So we've got a very good reception for this show. It kind of um, really speaks to both the um, phenomenon of podcasts as well as the phenomenon of true crime. And um, in season two, we get into more of them actually becoming the suspects of the very murder uh, sort of, uh, ex it extends to an, the death of another resident in the building, whereas the then the story kind of turns on them as potentially being involved in that murder and potentially others. So then they have to both clear their own names and then figure out the the actual goings on of who done it and wrap up the podcast and make that all work somehow. And all while looking fabulous. I mean, Oliver and, and Mabel more so than Charles, but, uh, oh yeah, uh, Amy Ryan, Cara Delevingne are also in the show as, um, main characters. Um, one of my favorite cameos is Roy Wood Jr. and Jacob Ming Trent, um, who are hosts of a horticulture podcast, which is really funny. Um, so that's got a lot of, uh, very good potential for, you know, true crime, but kind of adding some levity to it. Um, it has a comedic approach to crime fiction, which, uh, and, and true crime, which some people, uh, as I've mentioned, do take some issue with, but we're, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, I feel like all in all, it, it was pretty well handled, but I, I can understand how, you know, where some of those criticisms definitely are going to come from. So now that we've kind of gone over only only murders in the building as um, sort of a uh, a lighter sort of take on uh, true crime, and there's sort of other um, examples too, and uh, I'm just gonna double check. Uh, yeah, Pam Hub. Yeah, so Pam Hub. And, uh, the thing about Pam is, uh, again, another kind of comedy drama that, uh, uh, starring Renee Zellweger, and she has, um, taken on the role of Pam Hupp, currently charged with the 2011 murder of her best friend. Um, there's a lot of, uh, uh there, there's as much, as similar with Only Murders in the Building, there's as much critical acclaim for it as there is um sort of outcry for um sort of the way it was handled because some people do take issue with the fact that they're turning a true crime story into something comedic and um as well as the fact that it's it's you know heavily dramatized 
So there's, you know, no matter who they're going to get for the show, how, how many accolades they have, awards they've won, how, how, what, however good of an acting job they're going to do, it's also very much based on how appropriate the subject matter and the, um, the characters that they're going to be portrayed are. So this is a big sort of um, controversy of true crime. But the Pam Hupp case is a very interesting one. Um, if you guys want to look into that, that's, again, another very recent high-profile case that kind of came up. Now we're going to go to uh, back to some of the... Um, we're going to kind of just go through the list of popular true crime stuff that's out there right now just to give you guys, again, some required reading slash watching slash listening that will make you have a little bit more understanding of the genre and some of the very, um, you know, big name stories to look out for in case you are starting out or maybe there's a few things that, like, you're a huge pop culture and true crime nerd, but you want to learn more. Hopefully, maybe these will be some new suggestions for some of you. So in terms of Netflix, um, and, and I've been trying to make my way through, I, if I forget to mention a specific network that something's available on, uh, a, a quick search online should reveal where you'll be able to find that. So we're going to go through some of the stuff on Netflix. Uh, Catching Killers was a good example of a documentary that sort of focuses on several different um, famous true crime cases, and it talks a lot about the role that law enforcement plays it when it comes to the uh, investigation and subsequent capture and prosecution of criminals. So it's it's um you don't have to watch any of the episodes necessarily in order. There are a couple episodes that are two parters, from what I remember. But so that kind of makes it a little bit easier to kind of um, go through which ones that interest you more. Um, So they talk about like so many different ones um, and and quite a few Canadian based um, ones as well, which is very interesting. Um, There's uh, the two parter of... um, for example, the Canadian one. Let me just look this one up. The Toronto Village Killer, um, as far as you guys may have remembered, um, that was a pretty crazy one regarding um, accusations of cannibalism. Um, This was a a targeted killing regarding the LGBTQ community. And um, that's uh, a big one that was... uh, another recent one in Canada, so if you want to check that one out. But they they also go through a lot of other very famous serial killers, uh, for example, in this series. So that's one that was um, pretty good. That's like a very, you know, straightforward educational sort of uh, offering if you you have time to do that one. Um, Of course, we can't do this episode without talking about fucking Dahmer, about Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story that just came out with uh, Evan Peters. Everybody's new uh, serial killer, Daddy Zaddy. 
Um, this is yet another criticism of true crime that's come up in recent times. Um, whereas we're kind of playing into the one of the big reasons why a lot of these people manage to get away with a lot of true crime. Uh, because they are attractive and charismatic individuals. Uh, and also adding to the fact where a lot of people who uh, perpetrate true crime are uh, cishet white men. Um, maybe not head, but cis, we'll say cis white men. Um, and that has led to a lot of people looking the other way, at, in the at least in the very beginning, on a lot of stuff that would go on in terms of uh, suspicious-looking people, um, or even, like, again, the person living right next door to you, the person you work with every day right under your nose, you may not necessarily think to um, find them suspicious. Um, a lot of police officers and detectives don't find a lot of these cases suspicious until it's too late because they're not look they're not expecting that somebody who, you know, to be honest, looks like, looks like them is going to be responsible for a lot of these things. Um, and it doesn't help that now people are out here um, romanticizing and sexualizing serial killers. It's uh, it's definitely something that's come up in other situations as well. Um, but um, like when people are making jokes and it's like, oh yeah, Jeffrey Dahmer would have totally gotten me. Like that, that guy's a snack. Like people are making these sort of comments, which, uh, you know, not exactly the greatest things to be saying. And completely missing the point of it's like, well, yeah, so you shouldn't trust people just because they're hot or just because you think they're hot or, or because they, you know, are acting, you know, in a way that's going to be very seductive or persuasive um, or just trust somebody based on how they look just off the like, you know, don't, don't, not judging book by its cover. So that has become a thing with Dahmer. Uh, Dahmer has also come under f uh, a lot of scrutiny because it wasn't necessarily cleared by the families of the victims, of, of Jeffrey Dahmer's victims. A lot of them, um, again, very prominently in the show, um, Nisi Nash's character, that um, they've actually spoken out recently about... Um, about the fact that they were not told about the show. They found out about it by, like, seeing the show. And that they were not consulted in any way about what happened. Um, they were not, um, you know, given a heads up as to, oh, we're going to actually be portraying you in the show. And just to look like that, you know, you might see yourself exactly as you looked back then on the show, saying exactly the same things that you said in court um, and stuff like that, and, and, and it, it led to a lot of the families, the survivors and, like, families of the victims saying that they have to now relive a lot of stuff that went on without any warning, and, um, without any input, and also without any compensation from Netflix or big networks, and so it's very obvious to them that these networks are really just doing it to, for the money. They don't really have any any compassion or any forethought about the families and how they felt about it. So when uh, the sister of one of the victims, um, Rita Isabel, who again played by, by Nisi Nash, so she's giving um, sort of like these interviews to different news outlets now in different places 
um, talking about how, you know, she's got to now watch this victim impact statement uh, back and everything on... It, it's bringing up a lot of difficult stuff that they thought they were kind of done with. And um, they, they have a lot of resentment now regarding Netflix um, and just feeling like they're just being greedy and trying to make money off of their family's tragedy. And uh, not even for, for, the, for herself asking for money, but um, there are other victims of Dahmer that they probably didn't consult either. Which, which she brings up. Um, these victims have children, grandchildren possibly, um, other family members, and it just seems very careless to them that they would not only bring up all of these old feelings, but they do it just for, just for the money. And we all watch it, right? Like, we're all obsessed with it, so we're, we're all kind of contributing to that. But all, all Rita can kind of remember is her brother, Errol and and the world won't really remember them as much as they will Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, that's a pretty crazy thing about true crime as well. Um, what's very what's very sad is that a lot of cases, you know, if you asked about the victim's name in a true crime scenario, you're you're not gonna remember the victim's name as readily as you're going to remember the actual killer. So I do feel like it, there is some truth to that in some way where we we value the names and the stories of the killers almost as much or or more as we do the victims. Um, and especially in the last few years where we want to learn about, you know, vi villain backstories and, like, damaged, broken people's origin stories, which is all well and good. Like, I think there's something to be said for analyzing someone's past and how that may have contributed to the person they became and why they would do such terrible things. I think that it's also, um, we tend to focus more on the person that actually did the horrible things and then the people that they did them to kind of get lost and, and they disappear within sort of this now. And, and, and what's, and what you real come to realize with a lot of serial killers, especially, is that a lot of them want the fame. They want the notoriety. And a lot of us are just feeding into that. We're feeding into the egos of sociopaths by putting them as the focus of these stories instead of the, the victims, the people who suffered at their hands. So, um, definitely something to take into consideration in terms of kind of how, how we, as a, as, as the global society kind of take serial killers and murderers and abusers and put them on these pedestals in a way. Uh, that's definitely something that I noticed in the course of looking into this, which is um, very interesting. Uh, that, and, and part of that is as much media, the way it's reported on in the media and covered in the media, um, as much as it is how we like how we gravitate towards the the which person we gravitate towards in that scenario um some other really good ones on netflix are um worst roommate ever making a murderer was an extremely popular true crime series for a little while there night stalker about richard ramirez and uh tiger king uh tiger king uh came up actually quite a bit in uh, looking into true crime this week. Um, 
as you all may remember, during the pandemic, uh, Tiger King was an extremely popular little mini-series that came out, and it explored a um, both the underground world of exotic animal trade and um, exotic animal, um, I guess you could call them zoos, um, but, you know, a lot of people would consider them basically prisons for animals. Uh, as well as the, a lot of the people who worked there might consider them that as well. Um, if you have not heard on, about Tiger King yet, I don't know what to tell you, but we'll, we'll, a brief synopsis of the show is it follows um, a guy called Joe Exotic. He runs an exotic animal zoo in the States, and uh, it follows mainly him, but a few other people in the big cat and exotic animal game talking about how these animals are obtained, um, the extremely pro problematic pr uh, process of breeding animals for sale and um, for the entertainment industry, as well as for, you know, performance and viewing purposes in these zoos. Um, the conditions for employees, uh, ranging, f like, all different pretty deplorable conditions for employees. Um, it follows uh, Joe Exotic's... Um, you know, pro troubled past, um, his use of drugs, uh, possible abuse of, um, of, of sexual partners, um, as well as his staff and animals, his role in um, killing animals on his property, or covering up deaths of animals on his property, um, selling Ill illegally to people in order to make money, um, of, of all various different kinds of big cats and animals, um, <clears throat> excuse me, keeping them in terrible conditions, keeping his employees in terrible conditions, and of course his vendetta against one Carol Baskin, who started out in the same business as he did, but um, moved towards more of a um, animal rescue sanctuary style setup, where um, no breeding is taking place and they recover animals from different, um, you know, high-risk situations and illegal ownership and breeding situations and um, try to rehabilitate them and give them uh, a home. Um, now there's, again, a lot of criticism about Carol Baskin and her methods of how she uh, goes after various different um, organizations that she has issues with, uh, as well as um, her, again, there's a whole kind of spin-off true crime aspect with when just when it comes to her, because uh, Joe Exotic kind of plants this seed that uh, that sort of in the background through the whole thing as to whether or not Carol Baskin is responsible for the murder and cover-up of her first husband. Actually, I guess it would be second husband, because she had a husband before that apparently was very abusive. Um, then she met a different guy, got married to him. They started the their animals breeding and zoo thing. Uh, he ended up disappearing uh, under mysterious circumstances and was never found. And then uh, Carol remarried and now runs the Big Cat Rescue. So Joe Exotic, um, not only uh, is it speculated that he was responsible for deaths of various different kinds of animals, um, either directly or indirectly, uh, he, was in, he was partially responsible for one of his employees having their arm ripped off by a tiger, and also um, he is now currently serving time for plotting to kill Carol Baskin. Um, so it, it's funny because uh, 
it's another example of sort of the the true crime aspect of the show gets lost in the sensationalism of of the personality of Joe Exotic, as well as a lot of the other characters in the show. You almost forget that it's like, oh, they were just talking about um, being involved in murders um, and, you know, extreme animal cruelty and human rights abuses, among other things. Um, so it's, it's, it's weird because it's, you should, you should find it a lot more serious than you actually do. But the way the show is, is filmed and edited and presented, uh, they, again, they take sort of uh, at times a very comedic and, um, joking aspect to what happens. Um, which I, I, I think it makes it easier to watch, but it also kind of desensitizes you in a way to some of the stuff that happens in the show. Um, but again, if you, if you haven't watched Tiger King yet, I don't know what the fuck is wrong with you. Uh, there it's, I would say it's, uh, it's, it, a lot happens. There's, um, I'm, I'm just remembering to the guy who fucking shoots himself by accident. That's a whole other thing that happens in the show. Um, there's just, there's just fucking so much that, that takes place in the show. Um, so, uh, that's an, another really big true crime one. Um, and one that also speaks to me a lot, um, is uh, the keepers and see no evil. Uh, so these two shows focus on the Catholic Church and um, and child abuse within the Catholic Church. Um, one story is about um, a network of uh, priests and other local, you know, officials and authority figures who basically are running like a, a sex abuse ring through the Catholic school system and the Catholic Church, and um, leading uh, to years later where a lot of the people, a lot of the girls, now women, who were uh, victims of this, um, find out that one of the other victims has come up murdered. And so not only are they now trying to find justice for themselves as adults from the Catholic Church, but also trying to piece together what happened with this potential murder and cover-up by the church and the school system. And um, See No Evil is about um, a deaf students um in the catholic church system who were abused by their authority figures by priests and teachers and um sort of the aftermath of what that did to them in their lives and um their attempts to find justice um from from people from these priests who basically as often happens get shuffled around within the uh the church system um or you know kind of told to go hide somewhere or they retire early and then no one ever is able to find them again and no one's able to get the um the 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 justice that they need um and what's just made all the more difficult by the fact that again a lot of these students in this case in 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 um in hear no evil sorry i think i said see no evil it's hear no evil um is that uh there's um obviously like some kind of impairment that is going on. So that, unfortunately, like if you're blind or, or deafblind, hearing impaired, um, unfortunately that that can open up a lot of um, issues in terms of, you know, being taken advantage of and abuse. So it, it, it talks about all of that. Um, so those are some good ones that I would suggest. Um, going through some of the other different networks that have a lot of good true crime offerings... These are just some of the ones that really speak to me personally. Um, we've got uh, 
Don't Fuck With Cats, which came out quite a while ago. Um, so Don't Fuck With Cats, um, again, follows a lot of the uh, animal cruelty sort of aspect of um, true crime. There aren't a ton of stories that involve those sorts of things, but it's often something you hear about, you know, future serial killers, like potential future psychopaths, is that they tend to have a penchant for torturing and killing and hurting animals of various kinds. So, generally a red flag in terms, in a certain behavior that's a red flag, um, as it should be, for possible murdering tendencies later on in life. So, um, Don't Fuck With Cats was my other idea, for, possibly for a costume. Um, I was basically just going to, like, make a cardboard cutout of, like, a profile that said body moving on it. <laughs> and, um... That was gonna be my that was gonna be my costume. So um, this was very this was linked. It ended up be, being linked to um, a series of animal cruelty and homicidal acts by Luca Magnata. So Luca Magnata again is a was a Canadian is a Canadian. I'm not sure if they're still alive. Um and. This is this has become, I guess, similar to Only Murders in the Building. Um, this was a group of amateur online internet sleuths that were investigating in, um, this this guy Luca Magnata. Um, their criminal acts culminated. Luca Magnata's criminal actions culminated in the murder of a Chinese international student, Jun Lin. This was one of Netflix's top five most watched documentaries of 2019. So the premise is basically people start finding graphic videos of Luca Magnata online killing animals, killing cats. Hence the name of the of the documentary Don't Fuck With Cats. It's a three-part docu-series um and uh Deanna Thompson aka Body Movin is a very prominent person in the show who is kind of like spearheading this investigation online. So, um, what's very interesting is like it, it it allows true crime um, listeners and true crime viewers to actually become involved in the case, and that's that's one of the positive criticisms of true crime is that a lot of this has um, reopening of cases and um, more light getting shone on certain cases, as well as the involvement of non law enforcement. Um, through different online forums and, and chats, chat rooms and things like that, it's actually led to progress in a lot of cases. Um, it's led to updates in cases and future arrests and convictions, um, as well as helping law enforcement in their active investigations that are going on currently. So there's definitely something to be said for that. Um, I think it, it really is... I, I would say it's a good thing to get people more invested in true crime and actually get communities to work together to catch killers because unfortunately what happens so much is that these cases get, you know, caught up in all the red tape and uh, some, some cases, as I mentioned, are more important than others. Um, things go into cold case if after a certain amount of time, if there are no leads and no new information. Um, and sometimes there's just things that, you know, having another set of eyes on a case 
um, you know, they might, people might pick up something and see, see or hear or, or discover something that, you know, the, the police or detectives didn't catch on to, um, or journalists didn't, didn't catch on to. So I would say there's definitely something good to be said in that respect. Um, so don't fuck with cats. Um, it, it, again, just the, the, uh, the, the title is hilarious. So basically, basically we're saying if you mess with any kind of animals, especially the cuter they are, um, don't expect to get away with it. Because, um, if there's anything I learned, um, I was, what was I watching the other day? And it was like, I literally don't care about anybody else in this show as long as the cat is all right. <laughs> so, um, I, I would say that a lot of other people out there probably feel the same way. And, uh, I think that for sure contributed to, to the popularity of the show. Now, we're going to go to a few different ones here. Um, the People versus O.J. Simpson. So I did mention O.J. Simpson. Um, there's a very popular, um, sort of dramatized miniseries. I, it's also on Disney+, Plus, um, I believe. And it follows, uh, there's a lot of very famous actors in it. Um, Sarah Paulson, um, David Schwimmer, and, uh, it kind of chronicles, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. plays O.J. Simpson. And, uh, <coughs> it basically goes through the entire trial in sort of, like, referencing true events and things like that, but also, um, heavily, uh, stylizing it and adding some fictional elements and some, uh, sort of, um, artistic choices, acting choices and things like that. Um, O.J. Simpson trial. Now, I was pretty young when this trial came out, um, when this started happening, but it was, I, I remember it was everywhere. And there are very, like, key moments of my life where I, I remember seeing it on TV or, like, being at one of my parents' house or, like, out somewhere and it would just always be on. And, um, my mom at the time worked, uh, at a law firm so she, I remember her telling us that they would be, some, usually they'd go out for lunch at least once a week, or like they'd be somewhere at a bar or something that would have a TV, and they'd see the, the, the case on TV all the time on Court TV or whatever channel was covering it. Um, it was very well known not only for its sort of like circus-like aspect of, um, of bringing in like several crazy character witnesses, um, just the back and forth on the evidence that was collected, um, just OJ's demeanor, I guess, through the entire thing, and, like, just how sus everything was. But then it was also um, one of the first examples of of celebrity protecting co- protecting murderers. Um, for a, a very early prominent example of, because you're a famous person and you can afford the legal representation to ensure that you are not found beyond a reasonable doubt guilty of anything. Um, and we we all saw how many lawyers OJ ended up employing. Um, that led to a not guilty verdict, which, um, which I'll talk again in a little bit about some examples of, you know, the racial implications of that possibly. Um, maybe not exactly... Uh, it's kind of debated as to as to sort of um, people wanting to take OJ's side just specifically based on race, but also um, 
the example of sort of, in, in general, the criminal justice system does not favor you, as, as I mentioned, if you're not a cis white man. But a lot of cases we see is that regardless of, of who you are, um, the law tends to operate in a different way if you're a celebrity or a famous person or a rich person, because you tend to have the money and the name to make problems go away for yourself. Um, so that was a big beginning of us seeing that in the media. And um, there's there's so many different examples of, of this. Um, I, I mentioned John Bonet. Uh, Robert Blake is another one uh, that comes to mind for me. And um, what's, uh, yeah, it was Beretta. Um, that's another very, very famous one. Um, uh, Pistorius, I believe, uh, was the other one that, Oscar Pistorius. And, uh, that's the one that, uh, was, um, he was self, South African former professional sprinter who, um, was linked to, uh, a very high profile murder. He, they were convicted. Um, I didn't find any actually, like, um, there, there is a, actually a, um, uh, what was it called? It's, I think it's called Blade Runner Killer. I'm going to look that up. Um, I don't know why they would fucking call it that, but I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. Um, let me just check it. Yeah, it's called, it's a 2017 film called Oscar Pistorius Blade Runner Killer. A look at the story of Paralympian Oscar Pistorius and his relationship with model Reva Steenkamp that ultimately ended with her murder on Valentine's Day, too. Wow, this guy. Um, so, that is another example of, like, a high-profile person, I, I suppose, um, that uh, it didn't end up working out for. But, so... Um, it kind of just gives the example of, like, anybody that you know and could think of could, could have the potential of murder. And you should never assume that because of somebody's, you know, position in life, or what they look like, or your relationship to them, you should never really assume that anyone, that you really know anybody all that well. Because anybody has the potential to, like, low-key be a murderer. <laughs> Or be engaging in some kind of criminal element. So uh, some other really good true crime that I found recently. Um, we've got uh, People Investigates, BuzzFeed Unsolved True Crime. Those are some kind of like network um, episodic true crime examples. Uh, BuzzFeed, ag again, kind of adds sort of a comedic spin on it. Um, Ryan and Shane, the hosts of BuzzFeed Unsolved and the BuzzFeed Crime Series, um, they tend to make things a little bit more humorous in terms of their approach on things. There's, um, really good, uh, other, um, true crime, um, sort of fictionalized accounts and documentaries, uh, True Life Crime, uh, the Beverly Allet tapes, Mommy Dead and Dearest, The Act, the act is one of my favorites. Um, the story of Gypsy Rose Blanchard is very, very popular now. Um, the if you haven't heard about it, uh, it's basically the story of a mother who um, basically was sort of like a Munchausen's by proxy syndrome, 
which is generally where you make somebody else that's sort of in your care or somebody that you know sick purposely or or play up illnesses that aren't actually there in order to gain some sort of attention or sympathy is generally what Munchausen's by proxy is described as. So um, the act kind of uh, follows um, Dee Dee Blanchard, uh, the mother, um, keeping G- keeping Gypsy Rose Blanchard in a constant state of illness or, or perceived illness in order to get attention, sympathy, money, things like that. And um, it's a real life story. Um, it's a... Uh, it culminated in the murder of Gypsy Rose's mother, and um, Patricia Arquette plays Dee Dee Blanchard. Um, also, fe- it features Anna Sophia Robb and uh, Chloe Sevigny in the in the sort of mini series as well. And um, that sort of is an example of somebody kind of under duress engaging in a, in a murder. Um, we hear a lot about true crime in the sense of people kind of killing senselessly or killing for the thrill or killing killing to kind of you know cleanse themselves of a previous light and life and kind of start over new um those are the big reasons uh as to why people engage in that sort of thing um the act is an example of uh i i would say maybe like a defensive killing or um a, a sort of a situation where somebody who's been put into an environment where they're constantly being abused and controlled and um, overprotected their entire life, which results in this murder, um, that's sort of a whole different situation. Um, and in, in that sort of case, is the is the killing justified? Um, I, I don't think there are a lot of us who would say that Gypsy was completely out of line for their actions. Obviously, murder is is wrong. And, and I don't think it's up to anybody to make those sorts of decisions on someone else's life. There's usually another way that you can approach problems instead of resorting to murder and killing uh, in my personal experience and opinion. And, um, in this case, however, um, and, and you have to remember that after like years of being, uh, sort of induced illness, Gypsy is very much like a pretty frail and, and uh, person, somebody who can't really do much for themselves. Um, what happened was that Gypsy asked uh, her boyfriend at the time to help kill the mother. So there was somebody else as an accomplice in this whole story, too, that she, G- Gypsy, convic- convinced to help her. So that's a pretty crazy turn of events. Um, so it kind of... Uh, follows that sort of story. That's a very fascinating one. If you guys haven't heard about it or or followed it, I suggest you look into that one. Um, Another really good one that I came across uh, is called The Jinx, which, and there was a movie that was inspired by this story called All Good Things. So um, this follows the story of uh, Robert Durst. Um, So The Jinx it's one that's on Crave. I just started watching it recently. It's really, really good. Um, Robert Durst, um, basically it's uh, looking into still unsolved disappearances of one of his wives, uh, the subsequent murders of family, friends, and neighbors, um, 
And uh, there's actually interviews with Durst himself. Um, they also do reference the the movie All Good Things, which um, starred Ryan Gosling and Kirsten Dunst. And um, this has resulted from a decade of research by filmmakers from police files, key witnesses, never-before-seen footage, private prison recordings, and thousands of pages of formerly hidden documents. So... Um, it's through Crave. It's it's originally an HBO series. Um, HBO is a really good place to go if you want to get documentaries um, or, you know, dramatizations of things. Um, obviously, each, HBO could be a bit sensationalized, but um, they're also a, a pretty good uh, resource for stuff like that. Um, so, the um, the day before the finale of the series aired... Durst was arrested on first-degree murder charges for the death of his friend Susan Berman the day before the airing of the finale. So um, this was also very interesting because this was like one of the first times that Durst sat with Jarecki, um, who was also involved in the um, in the uh, actual like Hollywood film as well as the documentary, and um, that was pretty crazy as well. So this, uh, these incidents with Durst went on right up until the end of the show. Um, there was not only just the murders, there, there was involving dismemberment, um, involving um, cover-ups and connections um, that Durst had with various people that kind of helped him stay out of trouble for a really long time. Um, so there was a lot of um, stuff that went on during and after that um, sort of added to sort of the the mystique of Durst as a as a prominent character in pop culture and in true crime. But that is kind of crazy that it's like uh, all of these things coming together to culminate in uh, like a, a an ongoing in real time true crime situation, which is kind of crazy. Um, I mentioned Paradise Lost on the episode last week too. Uh, uh, again, if you guys haven't checked that out, if you didn't watch the episode last week too, uh, that is a crazy, crazy story. Um, one that references, as I mentioned before, religion and Satanism in some of the, uh, in, in some of the treatment of it. Um, very, very good one to check out. Now, um, we've also got It Couldn't Happen Here, Truth Be Told, Snapped. The Thin Blue Line, those are also very um, required watching and, and viewing and reading and listening. If you guys haven't already checked those out, I highly recommend that. Um, so I'm just checking the time here. We have about, I would say, half an hour left. So I'm going to just take a quick little break and I will come back and we'll sort of wrap up the episode with the rest of the podcast content as well as uh, some video games that reference true crime, because that's kind of been a thing that has come up in recent years. And um, again, kind of wrapping up with some of the criticisms of true crime that I think are important to address. So I will be back shortly, and we will come to the thrilling conclusion of this week's Fantasy Tavern. Be right back. Okay, guys, and we're back. Uh, 
so I'm looking at the time and uh, I might actually turn this into a two-part video because I'm noticing that um yeah so we've got about half an hour left to go um I think we might actually make this exactly a two-hour video this time not a three-hour video an unnecessary three-hour video which is super exciting um before we continue with the rest of this episode today we're going to I'm just going to mention once again as I do with every episode um if you guys out there have any interest in co-hosting appearing as a guest on the podcast at all um if you have uh, any expert opinions or hot takes or science that you'd like to drop at any time please let us know I am more than happy to have anybody come and share their uh, love of pop culture with us here on the podcast. And um, once again, if anybody out there has specific projects, products, services, anything that you guys would like to promote on the podcast, please let me know and I would be more than happy to put in a little shameless plug for you. Um, that's also the, the beauty of co-hosting. If you guys ever want to, anybody wants to appear on the show, you have the benefit of doing a little blurb about what's going on with you and anything that you want us to check out. So that is obviously um, not uh, not something that needs to happen in every single episode. As you can see today, I'm, I'm going solo, but I'm just trying to think about for anybody who's going to be watching the video later as well. And just to remind everybody, the podcast is not only available in audio format. Uh, I do have a Patreon that I post videos to. So oops, that is my battery about to run out. Let's have a look at how much juice we have left here. Ooh, let's go plug that in then we'll finish up. Okay. Thank you for telling me. That is very helpful. But yeah, it's very possible that I might tack on the little end part to this episode because um, I feel like three hours is like my default time now, but I, I feel like I should just keep it short this time. Like I should only be making these podcasts and videos about like maybe two hours max. Three hours is absolutely doing too much, and I think that that's uh, that's not something we want to do. Now, um, let me just take another little quick smoke here. And uh, yeah, shout out to Rocky Mountain Resin for this week's... Um, vape options. As some of you may know, I'm, I'm opting more towards the marijuanas in favor of the alcohols lately. Um, I think it's a very good switch. Uh, but you know, once in a while, I like to indulge with a little bit of this. Nothing too crazy. Now, um, is there anything else I missed here before we move on? Oh, the devil you know. That was another one that I wanted to mention before we move on. Um, as I as I mentioned, there's so many big name, prominent true crime cases 
that are out there. I feel like I almost need to do a second episode just to cover some of the stuff that I didn't do in this episode. But this is just to give you kind of a, a foundation on what true crime is, some good examples of things to watch to kind of get you started, and then some of the pros and cons of the genre, essentially. Um, so I, I think that we kind of covered covered everything that I think we were supposed to cover in this episode. Um, so The Devil You Know. It's going quickly to that. Um, available on, uh, as a movie, um, available as, um, available, um, this is essentially, um, it's, it's based on a, a New York Times, uh, best-selling book. It's a mystery thriller. Actually, Rosamund Pike and Jennifer Lawrence are in, uh, the movie. Jennifer Lawrence plays a younger version of Rosamund Pike's character. Um, so it's basically about a once popular movie star. They are, uh, they, they had to put their career on hold because their husband was murdered and they're now trying to get back into the film industry. Um, and then the daughter played by Rosamund Pike is also trying to start their own career. Um, th then the daughter finds out that there are some rumors about the mother being involved in the unsolved murders. And then the rivalry between the mother and daughter gets stronger and stronger throughout the movie. Um, so this is an example of, um, the, the move into true crime as, um, fictional and dramatized. So, um... It didn't receive very good reviews, but the reason that I keep it in here is um, because of the connection to what we're going to talk about next a little bit, which is the books. Um, so there's been obviously a lot of true crime um, fiction, as much as there has been nonfiction. Um, this is a kind of where we kind of start to get into these weird lines of... Um, these weird sort of lines of, of what is acceptable of like what to portray in terms of entertainment, as well as what there is in terms of what to portray for, um, keeping accurate with the stories of true crime and, um, making sure to, um, making sure to not like to, to, to honor, um, these, these dead people. So we're going to move into, uh, some of the books Sorry, sorry, some of the video games that have come out for True Crime first. Uh, then we're going to kind of end it off with some of the criticisms. Um, so, uh, because I love video games, I really wanted to include some of these. Um, we'll go into some of the podcasts as well. So, uh, in terms of video games, uh, some of my recommendations. Um, there's uh, L.A. Noir, which if you if you talk about video games, any kind of true crime, the first video game that's probably going to come up in that conversation is L.A. Noir. Um, but there's also some other really good, um, suggestions. There's, uh, there's actually a video game series called True Crime. Um, sort of focuses on sort of like a sort of gangster element, uh, similar sort of vibe to like a Grand Theft Auto sort of thing. Um, but there's also some newer ones, um, Paradise Killer, Detroit Become Human, Disco Elysium, uh, The Wolf Among Us, 
and Thimbleweed Park. Thimbleweed Park is kind of your sort of like your small town true crime, like local detective sort of vibe. Um, so there's a few there. Uh, but yeah, there's been a, a recent kind of surge in um, kind of creepy video games and true crime focused video games because of the popularity of the genre. So you can kind of find uh, something for everyone, depending on your like preferred method of, of media consumption there. We've also got um, some popular podcasts. So uh, Serial, which I mentioned. Um, Dark Poutine, which covers Canadian true crime. The Last Podcast on the Left. Bailey Sarian, Mr. Ballin. Uh, Bailey Sarian and Mr. Ballin are a couple of my favorites. My Favorite Murder. Crime Junkies. Morbid. And Mile Higher. Mile Higher is actually one that gets a lot of... Um, accolades for just sort of the very professional and um and very thorough in-depth approach that it takes to their true crime explorations on the shows um there are i just watched a really good uh video on youtube the other day about some of the criticisms of true crime um so we'll kind of touch on some of that right now as we're talking about the the podcasters and youtubers so in in uh, vlogs and YouTube videos and podcasts, sometimes what happens is that there will be sort of like a secondary activity going on while the true crime story is being recounted. And that will sort of lead to um, uh, people saying that perhaps that, that you shouldn't draw the focus from the true crime story by... For example, uh, in Bailey Sarian's case, uh, doing makeup while you're telling the story. So Bailey Sarian's sort of format in a lot of her videos is that there'll be a true crime story that will be basically recounted from start to finish. And for, by, by the time the video ends, Bailey will have like a full face of makeup done, which they're doing actively as they're telling you the story. So you get kind of like a makeup tutorial as well as a true crime story at the same time. So um, there's there's also, you know, um, uh, mukbangs that have come into play as well. Like a lot, there's been, there was a popular um, sort of podcaster and YouTuber um, that kind of got criticized for um, doing mukbangs while they were talking about true crime stories. So um, people like Stephanie Sue. Um, they have, again, become, uh, very popular, but a lot of people are asking that, like, people are kind of asking, does, does this belong together? Um, while they're, they seem very researched and very in-depth, can you really concentrate on the true crime story and, um, have the emotions that you're supposed to feel and, and, and really take in all the content if you're listening to somebody chew? food and crunch on food and it's like picking it up on the microphone and stuff the whole time not to mention it so a lot of people just say just that eating at the same time as trying to talk about this is just very disrespectful in general so that's been a big kind of uh talking point is is and going back to sort of the criticism of Dahmer it's like to what extent are these um influencers basically just jumping onto a money train and capitalizing on other people's trauma and their tragedy in order to get views. Um, so while we understand that that's um, an area of interest and expertise for a lot of people, 
um, there's been a lot of, you know, questionable content that includes things that aren't true crime related that is, is going, is there to kind of lure people in and draw people in. Um, and so, and then kind of without any sort of actual proper relationship or link to the true crime content that's being shared as well. So that's a huge criticism there that a lot of people have. There's, um, a lot of the other ones that we talk about, um, again, there's, it's generally people sitting around with some cocktails or something like that, um, talking about the true crime stuff. Um, a lot of times it does get very jokey, um, and like making commentary on, on things that are kind of like, um, making light of the situation, as we mentioned before. Um, is it good to provide some sort of comic relief or, or, uh, an, an air of of positivity within these podcasts or movies or TV shows, or is it not appropriate to the subject matter? Um, and of course, as we mentioned before, were any of the families or victims consulted in any way about some of the stuff that's being portrayed? Um, so once again, People are kind of just going onto onto the internet uh, or, or finding uh, websites with you know journals and articles and stuff like that. If you're if you're getting a little bit more serious and like want to cite specific sources, um, but then that's also like we get that you've put a lot of work into it and that there's passion there, but um, that the the fact that people are focusing on the the YouTuber on the podcaster, on the, on the influencer more than they are on the serial killer story and on the true crime story, that could become a little bit of an issue. And I find that I, I personally find that that does happen sometimes. Um, as I mentioned, I will say that I do enjoy Bailey Sarians, um, and, and things like Mr. Ballin who will like add a little joke about, um, you know, liking the like and subscribe process in every single video and stuff like that. Um, some people do appreciate that, but other people just don't um, don't really think that's that's appropriate at all. But however, the, like you have, I think there's just a lot of different options in terms of how you want to receive that data from a podcast or from from pop culture. We have options where there are approaches that are a little bit more clinical, educational, and um, uh, it takes it very seriously. And then we also have examples where it's a little bit more taking the edge off of a serious situation because to some people, if you're, if you're all focused in this doom and gloom and like working yourself up, making yourself scared and anxious, a lot of people say we want to add an alternative to that and maybe provide something that's not as dark and, uh, and depressing. Um, so take that, take that information however you want. Um, I think that it's, uh, it's important to make your own informed decisions on, how you kind of want to receive information about true crime. So let's move on to the last uh, few minutes of the episode, I guess the last 10, 15 minutes of the episode. And then I think we're at like in exactly two hours. Unprecedented, unbelievable, can't even look at us. Who would have thought? Not me. And um, yeah, I I think that like with certain cases, uh, in a lot of cases like in Canada, um, that's just like a whole episode we could, I could even do on its own about, uh, 
Canadian serial killers and Canadian murderers in pop culture, because I feel like a lot of people still have this assumption that Canadians are these like gentle, friendly, um, nonviolent people, but you know, like we're assholes too. We're crazy too. We have just the same potential for, for murder and, and criminal activity as everyone else. Um, we've had so many fucking messed up people in the last few years. I mentioned Luca Magnata. Um, I didn't mention yet, but obviously Carla Homolka and, um, Paul Bernardo of, I, I grew up in Burlington and I was like, anytime anybody wanted to fucking scare me as a kid, (laughs) tell me they'll fucking lock me outside and then Paul Bernardo will fucking come get me. So that was definitely, um... And, and of course, with, like, the subsequent convictions and then uh, Carla Homolka being released and whatever and all of that, um, it definitely brought to light a lot of people's criticisms about the justice system in Canada, about certain people benefiting from the law more than others, um, sort of the nature of, of, of crime and, and how willing the public is to forgive, um, how willing people who... And also just an interesting thing of like how how enmeshed people become with each other to the point where they would kill for them. Um, and then and then, of course, how quickly the people will then turn around and throw each other under the bus to avoid prosecution and jail time. Um, just just like just the, such an exposure of like the the sick nature of human beings. Uh, Robert Pickton, uh, Willie, also known as I believe Willie Pickton, was another very popular story that came out about a Canadian serial killer. Um, he focused on um, targeting sex workers and uh, kind of like homeless um, women from Vancouver's downtown east side um, and would engage in, um, you know, uh, sexual assaults and then would dispose of them on his pig farm by um they're burying them around the premises, getting some of the pigs on their farm to consume the remains, among other disgusting, horrible things. Um, I believe around 25 missing women have been attributed to him. He's one of the most prolific serial killers in Canadian history. Um, and a lot of the killings are still alleged um, because the evidence has been destroyed or left for so long and there could potentially be even more victims than that number that we don't know about um there is also um russell williams russell williams is a convicted double murderer former colonel of the canadian armed forces sentenced to life without the possibility of parole in 2010 for 25 years um and uh the story of russell wilson russell williams is that um, they would stalk and they stalked and killed, <coughs> excuse me, they stalked and killed, um, women and, um, because of their prominent position in the military, as well as their extremely, um, you know, atten- their, their extreme attention to detail and, um, and planning of these uh, sexual assaults and murders, um, they, Russell, Will, Russell Williams evaded capture for a very long time. Uh, their full name is David Russell Williams. Um, in late January, January 2010, they finally found evidence to suspect Williams' involvement in the disappearance and death of Jessica Lloyd, uh, suspected two other crimes, 
close to their previous home in Tweed, Ontario. Um, if you have a chance to find the, um, the interrogation and confession tapes for this, um, they are available online. They are, I, I swear, some of the most chilling, horrifying tapes I've ever watched. Um, just the, the complete lack of emotion of, at all. And just the, um, just like during the, during the confession, just like, just the, just a matter of fact way that it's being explained. And, um, the other, the other very prominent person that came up in the, uh, the, 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 uh, detailed confession was, uh, Marie-France Como, who, uh, again, this was a, a very premeditated murder. And, um... There's also evidence showing that they had broken into at least 82 houses to steal women and girls' underwear. This behavior later escalated to sexual assaults, later still to rape and murder. So the charges on Russell Williams not only include two counts of first-degree murder, but there's also forcible confinement, breaking and entering, sexual assault, um, and... uh, they basically kind of got stacked back to back, um, anywhere from 10 year sentences to life sentences. And, um, because in the end, um, Williams will have to serve a minimum of 25 years before the possibility of parole. Now, a lot of people are of the opinion that somebody like this should not be eligible for parole ever at all. Uh, so that's a huge issue in terms of different ways that um, deals are arrived at, and good behavior is good behavior in jail is taken into account. And uh, in this case, that's the minimum. Williams cannot get out, get cannot be eligible for early parole. They have to wait at least 25 years before they can even be considered considered as eligible. Um, Williams also obviously was stripped of all ranks, commissions, awards uh, in the Canadian Defense Organization, the Canadian military, destroyed all uniforms, military equipment, and documents pertaining to Williams. So, yeah. There was um, a huge news program in Canada, the Fifth Estate, which released a um, a, a news sort of episode about him, 48 Hours, Dateline also followed the story. Um, There's a TV movie called An Officer and a Murderer that uh, came out. And um, actually, I hate to mention this, but J.K. Rowling stated in The Serial Killer in her novel, Trouble Blood was in part based on Williams. Um, So, one of the most horrible... (laughs) Somebody who's come out to be one of the most horrible people uh, in turfy fucking like fake feminist bullshit jk rowling but in order to get inspiration for her books relied on again one of the most horrible people in pop culture history and in true crime history as some of the inspiration for this book um i'm definitely not telling you to go out and read any of jk rowling's books so yeah she can go fuck herself but um it's a very interesting thing where it's like uh, oh, and then one more thing I wanted to add before we finish this episode, um, because it's not on this list, but it's a really good movie in terms of uh, examining the nature of, of 
uh, homicidal urges, the nature of how serial killers are um, dealt with with in, in, in society and also kind of um, as a whole metaphor for status and um, and stuff like that protecting you from your actions. Um, my mom decided to randomly watch American Psycho while I was over the other day. Um, that's a movie that's been out for a really long time. So if you haven't seen American Psycho, I highly suggest that you watch it. Um, it's got a lot of really good commentary on uh, both, I guess, like how serial killers plan to do what they do and how a lot of them get protected by who they are in society. Um, I was I was just um, reading, reading and listening to a lot of stuff about John Wayne Gacy recently and about how they um, often got protected because they were so involved with their community, doing good works for the community and things like that. So nobody would ever suspect that they could be capable of atrocities like mass murder. So, um, among other things that Gacy did, obviously there was a lot of sexual assault of, of men and boys too. So, um, there's a, a whole kind of, um, cover that people can exist underneath depending on how society views them. Um, we're more willing to believe certain people are, are murderers than others. Um, so, some of the criticisms that true crime falls under, um, again, some of the positive ones, um, some people would argue that true crime could be a deterrent to crime and very educational. However, some of the negative criticisms that have come up in recent years, uh, in addition to what I've already mentioned, sort of the glamorizing and fictionalizing of trauma, um, it's actually led to increased social anxiety in the general population. More people are worried about getting attacked by serial killers and worried about being the victims of true crime and homicidal scenarios now that the true crime genre has led to um, kind of being just the entire media market being saturated with this sort of stories. Um, uh, and of course, the most, the big thing I didn't really touch on yet was the racism uh, and the homophobia. So, as you may notice in your research of true crime, there are not a lot of people covering true crime and not a lot of coverage of victims of true crime that happen to be not white and, or female. Um, you'll find that a lot of true crime centers on uh, young white females as victims. Um, a lot of other stories tend to get swept under the rug and not taken as seriously by law enforcement. Uh, Dahmer uh, illustrates this very clearly. Um, there's a movie, Till, coming out very soon, which I mentioned in one of the previous episodes about Emmett Till, uh, a very high-profile true crime case in the last few years from, like, the civil rights kind of era about how um, how, how communities um, influenced by things like racism and class-based things can... Um, can decide what the truth of the law is. This reminds me a lot of uh, Paradise Lost, where a community comes together based on their religious beliefs to um, put three young teenagers out to dry for murders of other children when they had literally no involvement in it, just based on the fact that they thought these kids were satanic. Uh, in this particular case, we've also got um, uh, people in a community throwing a, a black child under the bus claiming that they were being um that they were harassing and assaulting somebody when it never happened just strictly because everyone back then was racist 
and it was and, and people could just make lie and make up shit about about people of color and it just got believed and then in the in the sense of like the the lgbtq thing um it's very clear that uh like Dahmer touched touch on this as well a lot of police officers if they think and of, of the toronto village killings and things like that up until recently law enforcement were helping to criminalize homosexuality and were very um discriminatory against the lgbtq community so they were not going to be very ready to help in cases of assault and murder, which is why a lot of these cases were allowed to go on for so long in that community as well. Um, and then there's there's even true crime cases that don't even get covered at all. In the case of the Indigenous community, um, which again I referenced a little bit in a past episode about missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Do you think any of us ever hear about any of those cases in the media, ever? No. And I think that's a huge shame. I think that's that's absolutely disgusting. Um, and it's still happening to this day. So I think that's something that we all need to be aware of, the fact that um, bias in coverage still occurs now. And um, things like whether or not the, um, the perpetrator of a crime, the gender of that person, their race, their social upbringing, uh, whether they're rich or poor, um, their education, all these things are going to come into play. And whether we like it or not, whether we realize it or not, we all have sort of an implicit bias in how we perceive people. And sometimes it actually takes somebody hitting us over the head and telling us like with facts and evidence. And even then it's very hard for a lot of us to believe that the situation that happened some way happened a different way. And of course there are certain cases where like, um, it's very much very properly reported on. Law enforcement are are doing the best they can to kind of um, put their time and effort into catching bad people, and that is very true. However, it's it's happened a lot where the very people who are supposed to be bringing these terrible killers to justice are really just adding to the problem, and uh, as well us as a society are also at very much contributing to this problem by not really taking into consideration um, the fact that anybody could be guilty of, of any, any kind of crime, including murder. So um, I, I strongly encourage you all to look into some of this true crime stuff. Um, it really gave me uh, a new outlook on um, how we as a culture, as a modern culture, um, consume other people's hardships and other people's um other people's tragedies and struggles um so i don't think it's, it's something that i think th you've got to really have a lot of um real discussions with yourself and others in terms of um you know how much is how much is this going to be making me laugh and and i'm going to be seeing it for like entertainment value and how much of this do I have to realize is another person's life? It's, it's a real lived experience that they had to go through that I may never understand. Um, and so how much of this is me just like sitting on the edge of my seat because I love like misery porn and, uh, and it's like a car crash that you can't look away from and how much of it is actually like really having uh, an in-depth analysis of the nature of true crime 
and kind of how it how it's been interwoven into pop culture more so than that. That's something that I've been trying a little bit more to focus on. Um, I think that it's really important to, uh, as much as there's things that you can joke about, um, ultimately this has really given me a really new, refreshed perspective on, on, um, on giving the respect where it's due to these stories, and um, definitely a lot more research to come. Um, I know for sure that there was so much we did not touch on in this episode, and uh, it is about that time to wrap things up. Now, um, the last closing comments, what did I want to say here? I think that was it. I think that the only other thing that I wanted to circle back to was, um, was just, uh, the involvement of, um, of kind of how to, how to explain this in terms of, uh, terms of, uh, the the overarching narrative of, uh, like, where do we go from here? How do we make life better? How do we prevent these horrible stories from happening? Because as much as we love true crime, we shouldn't want there to be new true crime shit to have to listen to. Like, the goal should be that we don't have any more crime and that we don't have any more murder, and then we won't have this as a genre anymore. However, obviously, life is not like that. People aren't like that. And people are terrible. There were, human beings have, have, this, have this nature inside of them, this instinct inside them, and, and it comes out in various ways. Uh, so from like a psychological standpoint and like a social analytic standpoint, um, obviously I think the goal should be working towards there being a world where there isn't a true crime genre because people like this will not be able to get away with these horrible things something to think about. Um, and, uh, as you continue in your watching and listening of all of the great true crime things, uh, true crime, uh, podcasts, books, movies, film that the internet and all the different networks that we know and love have to offer, um, just going forward with that information, I hope that that helps everyone to make good choices in terms of what they're watching in terms of the media that they're consuming and uh, to, you know, just be aware of um, how things are interpreted and kind of come to a conclusion where that works for everybody. So uh, with that being said, uh, that brings us to the end of another episode for this week. Thank you again for joining and listening. I hope that you all noticed I've been trying really, really hard this episode not to say um, like, or so or take a lot of unnecessary pauses. I'm really working on it, guys. And if you noticed, thank you for noticing. And I hope that we will see you again on next week's episode. Once again, we will have a very special guest joining us. And then that's going to be wrapping up the Halloween month for us very soon. So thank you again for stopping by at the Fantasy Tavern. And I hope that I will see you next time. If you're having a beverage, I hope you enjoy. And until next time... Have a great evening and stay safe out there and happy watching.